Tuesday by the New York State government concluded that the administration of former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo failed to accurately account for the number of New Yorkers who died from the coronavirus in nursing homes. According to an audit released Tuesday by New York State Comptroller Thomas P. DiNapoli, Cuomo's health department failed to account for 4,100 nursing home deaths and undercounted the coronavirus death toll in nursing homes by as much as 50% from April 2020 to February 2021. Families have a right to know if their loved one's COVID-19 death was counted, but many still don't have answers from the State Department of Health, DiNapoli said in a statement released with the audit. Our audit findings are extremely troubling. The public was misled by those at the highest level of state government through distortion and suppression of the facts when New Yorkers deserve the truth. The pandemic is not over, and I am hopeful the current administration will make changes to improve accountability and protect lives. An important step would be for Doe to provide the families who lost loved ones with answers as to the actual number of nursing homes residents who died. These families are still grieving and they deserve no less. The audit states that the health department fell well short of its moral and ethical obligation to accurately report the deaths. In a statement to Fox News, Cuomo spokesperson Rich Otso party suggested the release of the audited politically based motives. As the number of out-of-facility deaths were reported last January, this is not news. However, what is peculiar is the controller's release of this audit now, but no one has ever accused him of being above politics, Otso Party said. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office announced earlier this year it would not criminally charge Cuomo in connection with his handling of nursing home deaths, which he was widely criticized for during his time in office. An investigation was opened after a report last year by New York Attorney General Letitia James revealed the State's Department of Health underreported COVID-19 deaths in nursing homes by as much as 50%. Cuomo had directed nursing homes to accept patients who tested positive for or suspected of having COVID-19 early in his pandemic response, a move that became controversial after thousands of elderly patients became infected with the virus. As the pandemic and our investigations continue, it is imperative that we understand why the residents of nursing homes in New York unnecessarily suffered at such an alarming rate, James said in a statement at the time. While we cannot bring back the individuals we lost to this crisis, 
This report seeks to offer transparency that the public deserves and to spur increased action to protect our most vulnerable residents. A separate investigation conducted by the New York Assembly concluded in November that the Cuomo administration materially misrepresented data on nursing home COVID-19 deaths, with one lawmaker saying the revelations would have been grounds for impeachment if Cuomo was still in office. Fox News' Michael Lee contributed to this report. recognizes the gentleman from Louisiana, Mr. Carter, for five minutes. Thank you. So you're listening here now to Troy Carter, the uh, congressman from Louisiana, and that no one is safe unless everyone is safe when it comes to the pandemic. But of course, Congressman Carter, speaking from perspective, of someone rising on the floor of Congress. They have scrubbers in the air. They can clean anything out of it. He spoke about health care. And Congressman Carter does have a point. There is a need for more need efforts, considering everything that is happening. There are new waves of infections, the vast majority of which are taking place in China, where it all started. Yes, there are those who would deny that the coronavirus came out of China. <laughs> there are those who even want to spin it back and say, oh, it was started in the United States. No, it was SARS-2. And just like SARS-1, it came out of southern China. And it is basically based on viruses that involve animals that are often consumed by people in that region. Seen as exotic meals, such as bats, and other marsupials. Madam Speaker, I rise to celebrate our nation's actions to make health care more affordable. Together, we provided more resources for the CDC and state and local health departments to ensure they're prepared and equipped, implementing lessons learned from the pandemic. We confronted our most urgent health crises while, while taking strides to reduce unacceptable health disparities. We invested in our veterans, focusing on the mental health needs of those who serve our nation. We strengthened biomedical research, providing more funding for the National Institute of Health and establishing an advanced research projects agency for health to cure the previously uncurable. We protected the safety of our food and medicine by funding FDA. The pandemic taught us that no one is safe unless everyone is safe. That's why we increase funding for global health to work to prevent the next pandemic. With this budget, Democrats not only are making health care more affordable for all Americans, we're building a healthier and safer nation. I rise to highlight the significant investments we enacted to help working families with the cost of living. In a time of great uncertainty and change, People are living paycheck to paycheck on fixed incomes. Many are struggling just to pay basic bills. Our investments represent a lifeline for working families by increasing funding for childcare, our public schools, and providing high quality job training. This bill gives more tools to help Americans succeed. Government must serve the people, not the biggest corporations. We provide resources to small businesses and entrepreneurs as they pursue the American dream. We invest to connect communities to the internet and expand access to affordable housing and home ownership. We strengthen our core services 
and tackle the root causes of rising prices. One example is by providing $158 million to support the production and delivery of small to medium-sized manufacturers, helping detangle the supply chain and lower costs to consumers. As we paid for it by, and we paid for it by cracking down on big corporations and the wealthiest who are not paying their fair share. This government funding legislation truly delivers for the people. I yield back. Congressman Carter, of course, uh, coming from his point of view, is uh, looking at the situation as Louisiana does when it talks about health care. You have to remember Louisiana is one of the places in the country where health care has been one of the worst levels in the United States. So what exactly is happening with all this? As we look at the situation with healthcare workers complaining that they were made to often report deaths that may or may not have been directly the cause or directly have been caused by the outbreak, but list them down as part of the outbreak so that the institutions they were working for, whether they were nursing homes, whether they were uh, elder care facilities, whether they were hospitals, could get paid on a set level from federal funds that were set aside for the disaster for the pandemic. Is this the case? Is this why the 4,100 deaths were not listed down? Because in many instances, people were elderly. They were, as some would say, on their way to checking out. Could that have been the reason? And that, of course, is the other issue that eventually will rise here and be looked at and talked about and seen as to what exactly happened. But the most sad thing that is about all this is how uh, former Governor Como uh, will not be charged with any of these. How the district attorney. It's our time to show the world that Ever Upward is more than just our state's motto. It's who we are and it's where we're going. Not- so that's Governor Hochul there speaking, Ever Upward. Uh, that doesn't mean sending more people to heaven. I mean, it's often nice, you know, you're sending people out of the way, but hey, wait a minute, you know, uh, is it sending people to the great beyond? <laughs> a lot of people are wondering. I'm Mike of New York. That's been a quick look at what is happening as indeed New York State continues to move on and deal with the problem of uh, these uh, deaths. And there are, in fact, lawsuits being put together and a lot more that needs to be done as far as uh, working on getting it done. Now, Governor Hochul did give a speech a couple days ago, uh, you know, actually uh, several months ago about uh, vaccinations and education and more to give state funding down the road to all of these things. She right now is having to deal with challenges from people like uh, Lee Zeldin, who is actually beating Hope in uh, 
in polls here in New York State. And uh, that is something that is that is really surprising Democrats. You know, they can't understand. Why are people so upset with them? Well, perhaps, maybe because of things like letting everybody get away scot-free with what has been happening in many of these areas. You're looking at this problem and you're not looking at the solutions. And, you know, there are areas where a lot must be discussed. There are places that people must talk about all these issues. And, you know, there are more pressing concerns right now in New York as we come out of this pandemic, as people drop their masks. There's a lot of information going on. But then there's also this. You heard this one? And, of course, you know, you have former Governor Cuomo releasing new television commercials as he tries to return to, uh, you know, uh, Albany and come back as governor. There are questions that are being raised, of course. And there are issues that will often be seen as something that has to come out. I'm pleased. And we, you know, who cover much of this, uh, look at these issues and, and, and see them. And people wonder exactly where things are, are going on with that. Former Congressman Lee Zeldin is running for governor of the state of New York. There is a primary election on June 28, 2022. There are two major candidates for governor. That, of course, being uh, Andrew Giuliani, son of former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani. And, of course, Lee Zeldin. Let's listen to a little bit from Lee Zeldin in this interview. I, I remember Diana going into labor in her 22nd week. And the doctors at Georgetown University, NICU, managed to keep the babies in her for about three weeks. So in the 25th week, they were born. First couple weeks, they both had lung surgery, intestinal surgery. When Michaela was about two weeks old, she weighed two pounds and she had an extra pound of fluid. Uh, she went into septic shock. And that has about an 80 to 90% mortality rate for her. While she was in septic shock, she had a stroke. And she wasn't doing well. Doctors sat Diane and I down and recommended that we discontinue treatment and that we let her go. They said, if she survives, she won't be able to see, walk, talk, and she'll have cerebral palsy. We weren't saying maybe. They said, this is what's going to happen. Diana uh, uh, d decided to, and we talked about it, we figured if she wasn't getting any uh, better, but she wasn't getting any worse, she's clearly fighting. She's going to fight. We're going to fight too. And we elected to do a very risky brain surgery on her. Diana and I went, said goodbye. We didn't know if we were ever going to see her again. We're in the waiting room. I remember the doctors vividly remember. I'll never forget. Doctors come and they say that things went better than expected. She's not out of the woods, but it went better than expected. I remember Diane and I high-fiving each other. 
And uh, the whole surgery, the whole incident left one third of the left side of her brain a hole. But what's interesting is because she was only two weeks along, it's 27 weeks of brain development. Uh, the brain is still in many ways growing and it recircuited itself around the hole. So she ended up with no long-term effects of what happened. She went to early intervention, the power of prayer, uh, her will to uh, live. I would say the girl's will to live because Ariana went through a lot as well. And uh, the miracles of modern medicine collectively. Now they're 15, they're finishing up 10th grade. They're doing really well. They're in all honors classes, getting better grades than I did when I was their age. And thank God uh, for her fight. Um, and the fact that we just decided to put all of our uh, faith in her uh, and in that great team and that she's now able to live. I was able to see life in the second trimester. And as we talk about these issues, it couldn't possibly be more personal for me. And to be able to share that personal story of what it's like to see a baby who's so small that their entire hand is smaller than the top third of your finger uh, changed my life. And thank God Michaela and Ariana are still with us today. They're fighting, doing very well. And soon we'll be looking at college. And unfortunately, very soon they're going to be driving. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny how, you know, we think about those moments that make a man. And certainly, I think that was one of those in your life that your values, which had always been there, became that much more solidified through that experience that you've gone through. You know, it was, it was fun for me because to be at an event with you and your family not too many weeks ago, uh, to meet them for the first time, I have prayed for them for many years, and I prayed for you and your Thank family. You. And to actually be able to meet them and to, and to see the girls, meet your wife, Diana, and, and just be able to put some flesh on uh, names I've been praying for for a lot of years was pretty exciting for me. Well, thank you for all those prayers for the years. Let's get to some of the issues. Uh, so speaking of parents and parental rights, uh, certainly here in New York, there's been a lot going on. Uh, what can we anticipate as, as a parent in the, in the Zelda administration? What would parents be expecting from, from your administration in years to come? Parents have a fundamental right to control the upbringing of their child. Government needs to protect and defend that right and not infringe upon it. A decision by parents to send their kids off to school does not in any way relinquish that right. Some in government and education believe that if you send your kid off to school, that you're no longer in charge of the upbringing of your child. Now, when you push back on it, some on the left will say, uh, well, if you feel that strongly, then you should homeschool your kid. Now, if you choose to homeschool your kid, that's fine. There's many different ways that our kids get educated around this entire state. But for some parents, you make the decision to send your kid off to school. Maybe you can't do it with work. Maybe you want your kid to be around other kids in that type of a school setting. Uh, that's a personal decision. I believe that parents should be as involved as possible in their kid's education. The best thing for a kid is for a parent to be as actively involved in their son and daughter's education as possible. I believe that the best thing for a kid's upbringing is for a parental unit to be as strong as possible. So as far as education goes, I very strongly believe that there's far more that we must be doing to have parents as involved as possible in their kids' education. You know, I remember some years ago, in, you know, when you were a new state senator at that time, and I remember I was a new lobbyist coming to Albany, and I was seated up in the Senate gallery. I remember um, watching the floor, and there were senators that were moving around. It wasn't uncommon for a, a senator to be around for a few years to, to point to me and come down to have a word with them, and I would be down at the floor where they're at. I remember this particular day because all of a sudden I felt a tap on the, on the back of the shoulder and it was you. You would actually come up to the gallery to talk to me about a school choice issue. 
And first, let me just say, I was so impressed with that that you as a state senator would, would come up to the gallery to where I was uh, to speak with me rather than just call from your back and <laughs> to come down. So I appreciate that. I think that has spoken really of, of your humble heart. Uh, so many years ago, I think that started off that I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm the fourth ranking member of my house. Uh, I still serve in the Army Reserve and I'm outranked by a bunch of people in the military. Constituents keep me grounded and honest. I remember when I first got elected to the state Senate during orientation, somebody shared this story with me that and the group of all the senators who just got elected, they say, you all may feel important and people will call you senator and doors will get open for you that weren't previously open. But just keep in mind that one day you're not going to be here anymore. And the day after you leave, someone's going to scrape the plaque off the outside of your door and no one's going to ever remember who you are. Okay, that puts some perspective on it. We're, we're all people, uh, we're, we're blessed to be on this earth, to have life where we're all equals. All of us are equals. There's so many ranks that get thrown around and titles. And I understand when you're trying to accomplish a goal that it's good to have structure and dialogue and a chain of command. And I mean, I'm from the military, so I certainly respect and appreciate that. Some people that it gets to their head because they're empowered with a position that comes with more title, more responsibility in a particular situation. Somehow that makes them a better person doesn't make you a better person. You're still equals. You just have the honor, the privilege of being in that leadership position. Well, on that day, the topic that we talked about was school choice. And I'm still talking about school choice today. So I want to talk about a little more today. Two things. One, we mentioned the vaccine mandates. And not too many years ago, um, New Yorkers, even at private schools, lost their religious exemptions to vaccine mandates. Is that something that in the Zelda administration would get a second look? Yeah, the religious exemption should have never disappeared. It should come back. Uh, I don't believe that the COVID shot should be required in order to attend school in the fall. That's a bill that's being considered right now up in Albany. I believe all COVID mandates should end. I believe that everyone who lost their job due to COVID should get their jobs back with back pay. Right now, as you and I are having this conversation, if you're under five years old in New York City, you're wearing a mask all day long still. Uh, I mentioned earlier about how my daughter, Michaela, was going through early intervention. We have kids, they're on the autism spectrum, they're learning how to speak, they're three, they're four years old. The idea that the parent can't see the kid speak their face, the kid can't see the teacher's face, the kid can't see other kids' face, it just doesn't uh, add up as far as what's best for that student who's going through so much so young to be able to catch up to their peers. The idea that they would go through that whole experience all messed up doesn't make sense with the, the teacher student should be able to see each other's face when you learn how to talk. Uh, I believe in school choice. Uh, I don't want to uh, hold any type of uh, form of education back, whatever decision a parent makes to send their kid off to school. I want that schooling to be as uh, set up for success as possible. If you homeschool your kid, you should be set up for success as much as possible. You want to go off to public school? That's fine. I went to a public school. My daughters go to the same public school I went to. Uh, we have kids stuck in multi-generational poverty, stuck in poor performing schools. I believe that we should lift the cap on charter schools in the state. We should have educational savings accounts and tax credits for school choice and school vouchers. And we should provide every last possible opportunity for every student in this state, regardless of where you live, your wealth, your race, your ethnicity, anything. Everybody should be given the best possible chance for success. This isn't about the teachers union. It's not about the government. It's first and foremost, nothing is more important than that kid. And unfortunately, those kids don't get to vote. 
And because they don't get the vote, they end up getting held back. In some cases, you have kids that'll get used for six years as a guinea pig. Uh, there's so much needs to be improved about the school setting. Uh, I don't believe any school in New York should have critical race theory in it or anything like that at all, because they come up with new names now where you're pitting one student against another student based off of who they are. These kids were getting along just fine before those teachers and that agenda came into the classroom. I also believe that a lot of the material that's in schools just not, uh, with regards to sex education is just not age appropriate. I remember the experience of going through sex education classes when I was a kid. And kids are learning the material much younger than when we went to school. Uh, I believe that we should only have age-appropriate material. And if you have a kid who has questions, there's content that they need to speak to somebody about, that they should be able to have that conversation. I also believe that parents should be involved in that. That shouldn't be happening behind the back of parents. That comes from Albany Update. Uh, only has 176 subscribers. Uh, the second person who actually liked this it came out on March 15 of 2022. And uh, it essentially talks about Zeldin, who grew up in Suffolk County, New York. Zeldin graduated from the uh, State University of New York in Albany. Uh, and then the Albany Law School. He became a uh, very young attorney at the age of 23, one of the state's youngest to uh, pass the bar. Uh, completing Army ROTC, Mr. Zeldin uh, did four years of active duty and then in 2006 was assigned to the 82nd Airborne Division. Uh, he was deployed in Iraq in support of Operation Iraq Freedom following his service of active duty in 2007. Congressman Zeldin transitioned from active duty to the Army Reserve. He is currently Lieutenant Colonel in the United States Army Reserve. Zeldin uh, opened a law practice in Smithtown, New York in 2008. He uh, operated full-time until he was elected to the New York State Senate in 2010, representing New York's uh, 3rd Senate District. In 2014, following four years in the uh, New York State Senate, Representative Zeldin was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in New York's uh, 1st Congressional District. Uh, he serves on two committees, Financial Services and Foreign Affairs, uh, where he is one of a rare set of Republican congressmen in the state of New York. Uh, he is a ranking member of the Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations in the uh, Committee on Foreign Affairs. Congressman Selden uh, resides in his hometown of Shirley. He has a wife, Diane. They have twin daughters, uh, Michaela and uh, Ariane, who, as we, uh, Ariana, rather, who, as we heard, were both born premature in a very early state of the first trimester. And uh, doctors had given up hope on them, but the parents did not. Prayer and medical uh, science basically came together. And uh, kids are 15 year old uh, high schoolers at this point. Um, and this is, uh, you know, uh, Zeldin's uh, first attempt to run for governor of the state of New York. It is an opportunity for him, as many New Yorkers are entirely fed up with the current structure that is in New York run by the Democrats and how bad things are in the state of New York when it comes to crime and other issues. And of course, you have a lot of talk on many issues, but a lot of it is something that is still being discussed. I'm Mike of New York. That has been my podcast this morning for the morning edition. We'll be coming up with more throughout the day and to get you on your way. Keeping you informed is our goal. And this has been a New York long 30-minute podcast. Good morning, New York, and have a pleasant day.